Okay, that's, I mean, that's Easter. Easter is this message that God has not given up on us. Amen? I mean, that's Easter. Why are we so excited about this day? Eggs are exciting. You know, balloons are exciting. But it's this idea that if there is a God, and I look at my mirror of my heart, I'm in bad shape. But Easter tells us no matter how far you've gone, no matter where you are, no matter who you are, I will never give up on you. Wow. And Fernando, thank you for sharing that story with us. Um, some of us in here, uh, we're, we're struggling with God. Let's be honest. We struggle with God because how do I know God's real? Is he a fairy tale? Don't raise your hand, but some of you asked that at least one point. Is he real? Is he a fairy tale? You know who I go to when I struggle with that? I go to someone way smarter than me. That's a lot of people. I go to someone who's really smart. And one guy, his name is Dr. Francis Collins. Does anybody know who he is? He is a director of the Human Genome Project. He's the one that coded 3.1 billion letters of your DNA. That's pretty smart. And this is what he says. He says, as a director of the Human Genome Project, I have led a consortium of scientists to read about 3.1 billion letters. I can't even say 3.1 billion letters in this lifetime. I'm not sure how he did it. Of Human Genome, our own DNA instruction book. As a believer, I see DNA, the information molecule of all living things, as God's language and the elegance and complexity of our own bodies and the rest of nature as a reflection of God's plan. In other words, he looked at your DNA, and he said, there is no way that these 3.1 billion letters came to be, and bam, there you are, by accident. I don't trust pastors, okay, with science, but I trust this guy. And he says, I have found there is a wonderful harmony in the complementary truths of science and faith. The God of the Bible is also the God of the genome. God can be found in the cathedral or in the laboratory. By investigating God's majestic and awesome creation, science can actually be a means of worship. Whew. In other words, the smart man said, God is everywhere. And Fernando, I, I appreciate what you said. We are miracles. The chance of you being born... The chance of you being who you are, just the right amount of you, it's a miracle. And so the part that makes our mind blown is we can't grasp that. We're, we're too feeble-minded. I, I, I'm so sorry to, to just impede on this, but can you say, I am feeble-minded? Can, can, you, can you say it with me? I am feeble-minded? I mean, I mean that's, that's because of this. We're feeble-minded because I can't understand the depth of God. He is too enormous. For example, a professor at Fuller wrote this blog. Blog is those little articles. And he's telling the story of how feeble-minded our minds are to comprehend God. And let me read this to you. He says, imagine a conversation between a child and her father. Some of you had these conversations. Daddy says, well, Rosie, I'm going on a trip. Would you like me to bring you something? What do kids always say? Yes. What do you want me to bring me? Yes. So daughter responds, Daddy, I would like a star. One like that. And she points to Betelgeuse, the red planet in the constellation of Orion. By the way, Betelgeuse is so big, 
If it was in our solar system, the circumference of it would extend out to Jupiter. That's how big the star is. So this little girl says, I want that star. Daddy responds, there are a few problems with that, Rosie. Can you imagine if he responds this way? First, there is a question of how long it might take me to get there and back. Even with a ship that could travel at light speed and was big enough to carry a star, it would take me 642 years to get there at light speed. And then she says, can't you go faster? He responds, well, no. The speed of light is a constant, and anything that actually reaches the light speed converts into energy, into light itself. But if I got to near light speed, I might be able to survive the entire journey because of relativity. Now, she's only five years old. Time would slow down for me, but people on Earth would still die before I get back. How many of you think that five-year-old girl understood everything? How, how many of you understood what? I read this ten times. So she, he's explaining this to her why he can't bring a star to her, right? So you and I know where we're going with this. Can a girl comprehend that knowledge at five years old? Answer is no. Maybe a protege, but not. So the Professor Reed Metcalf continues, as good as his father's intentions are, a better response might be something like this. It may be too big but I'll see what I can do. Which answer do you think is better? You want me to bring you Beetlejuice? Do you understand relativity? <laughs> do you understand mass? No, he says, it's huge. But you know what, Rosie? I'll see what I can do. What has he done? Has he dumbed her down? He took this incomprehensive idea and thought that's true and spoke it in a way that a five-year-old girl could understand. You see, God is big. And for us who are saying, show me God, <laughs> that's like saying, is the sun hot? Let me touch it. Can, I mean, all right. By the time you get to Venus, you'll burn up. So we can't comprehend a lot of it. We have a feeble mind. So I wasn't trying to make you feel dumb. I was trying to recognize, compared to God, we have very feeble minds. So he says, we ask for Beetlejuice, and our Father in Heaven hears us, wants the best for us, and is willing to bend down and reveal part of his amazing plan for the cosmos and humanity. Instead of scoffing at the antiquated science that God speaks through, he says, I am humbled at what he was willing to do for the sake of those he loves, and yet still encouraged to delve even deeper into the world he created and the word he spoke. In other words, thank you, God, that you're so massive, but your love for me, you make it very simple. And you know how simple God has made his love for you? The cross and the resurrection. That simple. Who is God? What is the profoundness of God? It's summarized in this thing. On Good Friday, the Son of God died on the cross. Three days later, he rose again. That is all I need to say, God loves me. That's all we need to know. Can we know more? Certainly. Is that more than enough? Absolutely. So when you go to Luke 24, this is what's going on, actually. So as the youth group kids read it, Two men are walking down on the road to Emmaus, and then they're saying, I can't believe that happened. 
Where is God in this? How could he let the one who was going to redeem Israel die? Can you imagine that? We're in bondage, Roman Empire over us, and some guy rises up, and crowds of 8,000 people are following him, and they're thinking, he's the one. And Jesus goes, I will be the king, and he dies on the cross. And some of us are going, what? (laughs) It's like saying, we're going to go to Legoland. And all the kids turn around, and then we drive down to a local playground, and they're like, here we go. And the kids are like, what? That's cruel and unusual punishment. And so they're walking down, and they're discussing what's going on, and then somebody goes, boo. And it's fun for us, you know why? Because we know who it is. Who, is, who creeps up on them? Jesus. And for the first time, we as a reader know what's going on. And Jesus is like, I love Jesus. He's like, well, what you talking about? Are you an outside visitor? Don't you know what happened to Jesus? What happened? <laughs> I love how he plays dumb. And then, and then so they're explaining to him. And then he talks to them, and he says to them once they share, we thought he was the king, and he died. We're disappointed. And then he says to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart. In other words, how feeble-minded of you. To believe that all the prophets have spoken, did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory. He's saying, are you clueless? This was part of God's incredible plan. Jesus was meant to die, and he would rise again. That was his purpose. And so Jesus goes on, and you know what he says? Right after that, he goes, let's go back to the Old Testament, and he goes into the whole Old Testament to say it's about him. And what is Jesus doing? The resurrection is true. The Bible, you know who it's about? It's not about you. It's not about me. Some of us are like, this Bible's boring. I don't know what it's saying to me. You know, this doesn't even make sense to me. Do we even follow these laws? I got, I got news for you. The Bible is communicating to you about God, but it's not about you. It's about Jesus. From Adam and Eve to now, it's been always about Jesus. So he, he walks with them, and they're fascinated, and I love this. Jesus is walking, and it says he pretended he was going to keep on walking. So his two buddies, they're like, hey, we're, we walked the seven miles. We're at Emmaus. And Jesus is like, all right, see you later, guys. You know, he's doing one of these things. And then they say, would you stay with us? And I love how Jesus kind of does that little. And he goes, I'd be glad to. And then what happened? When did they realize who Jesus was? Do you remember? They were having dinner, and then they broke the bread. And then soon their eyes were open. They recognized Jesus, and at that moment, he disappeared. You see, I think this story is telling us, Luke's trying to communicate to us this. The incomprehensible is made comprehensible. It's very simple. Jesus is God. He died and rose again. And that simple truth If you look at the Bible and you say, it doesn't make sense, if you recognize it's all about Jesus. It's all about him. That cross is about his glory. And this resurrection proves that he is true and real. That's the point of Easter. You see, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says something really cool. He says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, where should you be right now? Sleeping. You should be sleeping. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you should be fishing. 
If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you should be playing baseball, going camping. You should be, don't even talk about Jesus in church. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, all of us are the biggest goofs in the whole world. That's what Paul says. And he actually says this, let us eat, drink, and be merry. That's it. So he's actually saying if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, let's get drunk. Let's just eat and have fun because we're just wasting our time anyway. But Paul says, no, Jesus did rise from the dead. And this is the good news. So this is God trying to communicate to us. We're these feeble children. He says, I am real. Let me show you how much I love you. I will come to you, walk with you, and die for you and rise again. So some of you are doubting, is God real? When you look at the cross, it's not just a sign that there's a church here. It's a sign that God's love is right there. So how do I know God's love is for real? Um, Fernando was sharing, every time he, he encountered and served God, he knew that God loved him. Have any of you ever heard of five love languages? Raise your hand if you've ever heard of Gary Chapman's five love languages. It's this idea that every single one of you, this is going to do some marital counseling for some of you, you have a love language. So my love language is words of affirmation. Here's, here are the five. Words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, and physical touch. Every single one of you know that you're loved by one of these. Some of you, it's words of affirmation like me. So when somebody says, Jason, you did an outstanding job at mowing the lawn. I will go, and I'll put on my Facebook, today's a great day. (laughs) Yeah, I have no life. So when people, and somebody, someone says to me, Jason, you missed a spot. There's dandelions. <gasps> I'm not valuable. I hate that about me. But I'm words of some of you are acts of service. My wife is. So I go, honey, I love you. Kathy's like. <laughs> but if I say, Kathy, can I let me take care of the dishes tonight? Or let me ta- let me watch the kids for the next two hours. She's like, <gasps> <gasps> totally acts of service. I could say, my pumpkin, pumpkin. It should be like, <laughs> some of you are receiving gifts. So when someone's like, hey, I went to Grand Canyon. Here's a rock. <gasps> it's just a rock. But you're like, oh, my goodness. This is the most beautiful rock I've ever seen. Wow. So some of you, you feel love when somebody gives you a gift. Quality time. Some of you, it's quality time. It's, you don't have to do anything. This is you. You can sit there on the couch with the person. The dumbest shows are on, but you're saying, life is good. And you know who I appreciate that? When someone married for 60 years and they're just holding hands, they're not talking at a restaurant, and they're just smiling at each other. That's awesome. Quality time. And physical touch. Some of you are physical touch. You know who you are? You're the huggers. You're, you love touch, so you hug everybody. Hi. <laughs> It's like, it's like a Venus flytrap. It's like you, you, they, they, you come near them and they're like. <laughs> so each of us are wired in this way. You probably are thinking right now, that's me. And the intent of Gary Chapman is this. It's not 
only to understand how you understand and receive love. But it's so that you could see how to give love to specific people. Did you catch that? Understanding this is not about you, but it's about the people close to you and how you're communicating love to them. Now, here's a crazy thought. When you look at what God has done in Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection, this is crazy. If this is a summary of every human being, how they're feeling loved, through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, do you realize he speaks of love language to every single one of us? Whether it's words of affirmation, quality time, um, quality time, service, gifts, or physical touch. Let me share. Words. Jesus says to us, I love you. How do I know that? Well, there's a, there's a, there's a theologian named Karl Barth in 20th century. They say he's one of the greatest minds. So what do you ask a great theologian? Carl, out of all the great knowledge you have, what is the greatest truth you love? And you know what he says? Kids, you know this. Ready? Say this with me if you know it. Jesus loves me. This I know. Karl Barth, this brilliant mind, says the greatest thing that I know in theology is that one simple truth. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Words of affirmation, the word of the God is telling us, you are loved. That makes me feel good because I'm a words of affirmation guy. You see, God is telling us through the word, this is your love language. You know how much I love you? Jesus is in the word of God. He is the word. And look what Jesus has done for you. Be affirmed. Know you are loved. Let's look at the next one. Acts of service. Have any of you been served recently? Yeah. If you get good service, you get good tip. Look what it says about what Jesus has done in his life. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. This is what he says. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know how you're served by Jesus Christ? Those of you who love being, getting service? Jesus dying on the cross, he's saying, is me showing you that you're worthy of service, that I'm dying for you. I didn't come on this earth so that I could be king and be served. I came to serve you. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you are. Jesus Christ laid down and served you. Who are you and I that we should be served by the creator of this universe? Anybody feeling worthy of that? Well, I deserve it because I had a bad week. (laughs) No one in this room, in their right mind, will say, I am worthy of being served by the creator of this universe. You're either delusional, extremely narcissistic, or you're lying. Jesus Christ served you. Maybe your gift love language is receiving gifts. And I love this verse, Romans 6.23. You want a gift? Here's a gift you deserved. For the wages of sin is death. I love the next part. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. In other words, what is a gift? If Pia gives me a gift, right? 
She's like, Pastor Jason, here's a new wallet. And I say, oh, thanks, Pia. Here's a dollar. Keep the change. She'll be more what? Offended. She gave me a gift, and I give her a dollar to say, hey, nice job. Thanks. A gift is, we love this word. It's, an, it's a four-letter F word that we all love to say. <laughs> Free. And Jesus is telling us, and Paul is telling us, Jesus came, and if you like receiving gifts, here's a gift extended to you. Eternal life. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. It's free. Some of you are quality time. There's no better time. Uh, when you want quality time with someone, do you do it over phone? Maybe. If you want good quality time, do you do it through email? No. Here, and then some my. I, I'm guilty of this. Some of you could be home, but does that mean you're spending quality time with your kids? No. Quality time is I'm here and I'm connected and I'm with you. And this is what the Bible says about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. Philippians 2.6, Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing into the very nature of a servant. Can you understand this, people? Easter and Christmas is saying this. God condescended himself to spend quality time with you. You know, some of our dads and moms, we think we're too important. My golf, my sports, my club, my job, my career is way more important. And we tell the kids, kids, just wait for two months and we'll go on vacation. And the kids, you know what every kid wants from their parents? More than anything else, it's your time. And what has God done for us? He hasn't sat up there in the universe. He comes to us and he says, I love you. I want to live with you. I want to smell like you and eat like you. I want to be with you. And what Jesus has done in those 30-some years was to be with us in that quality time to die. And lastly, the physical touch. The word became flesh. You know, um, Jesus, in his ministry, he touched lepers. He, he hugged tax collectors. He hugged adulterers. And he says, welcome. You know, some of you guys need a touch. Some of you need good, some good loving touches. But Jesus, he goes beyond lepers. He goes to them and he touches them. And he's not afraid of getting infected. And he heals them. In other words, you see these love languages? Easter reminds us, no matter where we are, if there's nothing you remember other than this, know this. Wherever you are, no matter what kind of love language you speak, God is speaking your language to say this, I am crazy about you. And the reason why Easter is exhilarating is this. Simple message of, I am loved by the greatest being in the whole universe is all that I need. Today, it's not a story about church. It's not a story about religion. You could throw religion out the door. You, you could throw trying to be good out the door. Today, it's a story about a person who came and who says, no matter what language you speak, I love you. I can't say it as well as this guy, so let me show you this guy as he lifts up Jesus Christ in a poem about Easter.
hear words for him that I don't have them. You see, my brain has not yet reached a point where it can form a thought that could adequately describe the greatness of my God. And my lungs have not yet developed the ability to release a breath with enough agility to breathe out the greatness of his love. And my voice, you see, my voice is so inhibited, restrained by human limits, that it's hard to even send the praise up. You see, if there are words for him, then I don't have them. My God, his grace is remarkable. Mercies are innumerable. Strength is impenetrable. He is honorable, accountable, favorable. He's unsearchable yet knowable. Indefinable yet approachable. Indescribable yet personal. He is beyond comprehension, further than imagination. Constant through generations, king of every nation. But if there are words for him, then I don't have them. You see, my words are few. And to try and capture the one true God using my vocabulary would never do. But I use words as an expression, an expression of worship to a savior, a savior who is both worthy and deserving of my praise. So I use words. My heart extols the Lord, blesses his name forever. He has won my heart, captured my mind, and has bound them both together. He has defeated me in my rebellion, conquered me in my sin. He has welcomed me into his presence, completely invited me in. He has made himself the object of my sight, flooding me with mercies in the morning, drowning me with grace in the night. But if there are words for him, then I don't have them. But what I do have is good news. For my God knew that man-made words would never do. For words are just tools that we use to point to the truth. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, as the word, living proof. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, giving nothingness formation. And by his word he sustains in the power of his name. For he is before all things, and over all things he reigns. Holy is his name, so praise him for his life. The way he persevered in strife, the humble son of God becoming the perfect sacrifice. Praise him for his death. That he willingly stood in our place, that he lovingly endured the grave, that he battled our enemies. 